0: You have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open the book of Acts. The book of Acts, as I mentioned a moment ago, we're taking a little bit of a change in our study on James to focus on North American missions today, to talk about what it means to be a church that's sent. The theme for our uh, convention is Send North America, the Strategy to Reach North America with the Gospel. As I was looking through, preparing for this uh, passage, to teach this passage today, I I thought about how so many times God speaks to us and our response is no. And uh, I don't know who first said it, but I think it was Henry Blackaby. He said, you can't say no and Lord in the same sentence. Because the moment you say no, he's not Lord. Whenever you talk about the Lordship of Christ, the answer has to be yes. So as we look at this passage, these two passages today... I want us to think about God's call to us as the church. Are we a sent church? Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You know this passage well if you've been around here. This is our strategy. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. God calls us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now that's the, some have said that the, the gospel was spread in chapter 1 of Acts by refugees. Uh, they were Because of persecution, the church was spread out from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. But then in chapter 13, there's more of a strategic approach to missions. And I want us to look at that because both of these passages will go together today. Acts chapter 13, beginning in the first verse. This is the church at Antioch. In the church that was at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger... Lucius, the Cyrenian, Monaean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. What a varied mixture of people that Luke chooses to mention involved in that church there. Some steeped in Jewish tradition who had come to know Christ. Some just regular Jews who had come to know Christ. Some Gentiles. All of this, this uh, uh, hodgepodge of people that God has brought together. And the Bible says in verse 2, as they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called them to that after they had fasted prayed and laid hands on them they sent them off that church in Antioch was the home base for the mission enterprise of the apostle Paul that was the beginning of what God was going to do to take the gospel to the ends of the earth strategically so they were a sent church what does it mean to be a sent church how can we recognize Ascent church. I want to look at four characteristics of that church and ask, do we fit those characteristics? Number one, the church will be expanding. The church will be expanding. Ed Stetzer has said the church is not the center of God's plan, Jesus is, but the church is central to God's plan. The church is not the means of salvation, it is the messenger of salvation. That is illustrated in this passage right here. They were an expanding church, they were growing, new people were being added daily, they were coming to the point of realizing that God wanted to take the, the gospel beyond Antioch now. Antioch became, it was, a, it was an outpost and now it became a, a sending post for the people of God. It mentions Barnabas here, some scholars believe he may have been the pastor at that church. In antioch the god would call the pastor to leave and go to missions it happens all the time what a an ethnic and culturally diverse congregation we have here one of the things is i i thought about that church at antioch an expanding church i, I thought about them not being stagnant but always moving ahead always looking ahead stagnant we don't want to be a stagnant church so we say, well, Pastor Kevin, I'm so glad that Coastal Oaks is a growing church. Well, we're not growing like we should. We, we are getting to the place where we could almost say we're a plateau church because we're not reaching our community like I believe God would have us to do. We need to keep our eyes on the field that's out there before us. This congregation has been so good about that over the years, looking ahead. Uh, forecasting what god was going to do to be able to respond in obedience we bought the property next door we believe in obedience to god because uh, there could come a time there we lord willing a time when we need to use all that property for the glory of god for a base of missions and ministry in this community we we believe in future generations we we look ahead we we try to have a vision but folks churches all over this nation are closing their doors one of the most popular, uh, several of the most popular books that are out there address the dying church. One, church, one book is called The Autopsy of a Deceased Church, and basically it's a, a book that's been written based on interviews of churches that are dying. Others, how to revitalize the church. That's a big, a big movement in, our, uh, in, in evangelical Christendom in America, because the church is dying, not like the church at Antioch they were expanding we don't want to be a stagnant church i love jc Penney, the stories told about him when he was 94 years old still went into the office and a, a man came in to visit him and handed him his business card and jc Penney took the card and he said uh he kind of looked at it he said "Young know, man you'll have to excuse me i'm losing my vision and they said wait wait no i'm not losing my vision i'm losing my eyesight i'll never lose my vision that that's the way we want to be Maybe we might be getting older, losing our eyesight, but our vision has to be the same. It has to be to reach the lost for Christ. In Acts chapter 8, chapter 1, verse 8, that, that, that methodology that we have adopted, the Acts 8 challenge. We're to take the gospel to Jerusalem, our local community, to Judea. As the gospel spreads out, we talk about our state, ultimately Samaria, North America, and the ends of the earth. That's our calling. To reach the world for Christ. That's an expanding church. Now I hear second hand and third hand through comments that people have made. They don't really come to me with those, but I hear these that people are saying, Why does the pastor talk so much about missions? Well, I'll tell you why, because the Bible is a missionary book. You'd have to delete most of the New Testament if you weren't going to talk about missions. Some say, well, he talks all about foreign missions and international missions. And, well, what about right here? And, and I would say in response to that, if anybody has that mindset, it's not either or, it's both and. We, we're not only called to take the gospel to Rockport, Fulton, but to our state, to our nation, and to the ends of the earth. And you have to take the gospel to the ends of the earth because that's the Great Commission. You have to take the gospel to Rockport, Fulton because that's the Great Commission, It involves living a missional life, and he's preached on it recently, where your life becomes one of a missionary in your culture, where you go to work, where you go to school, uh, where you do business. Look for opportunities to to share Christ with people. It has to happen right here. But if we just do it right here and neglect the world, we're neglecting the Great Commission. Expanding. A church that's sent is an expanding church. Secondly, second characteristic of a sent church, a church will be exalting Christ. The church will be exalting Christ. Look at verse 2 in chapter 13. As they were ministering to the Lord, that, that word is also translated worshiping the Lord, and fasting, and praying implied there, the Holy Spirit spoke to them. They're worshiping. They're exalting Christ. Someone said, you cannot exalt Christ and exalt yourself at the same time. Can I say it another way? You cannot say what I want for my life is most important and at the same time say, I'm going to praise and exalt Jesus Christ. Again, you cannot say, you say, say, Pastor, you're really not saying no when I say I want my way, but you really are saying no. When you say I have my agenda, my plan, my purpose, and God begins to speak and you, you say, well, I've got my plan, you're exalting yourself. That's not worship. The common mistake in worship is seeking an experience rather than seeking God. I like what Rick Warren said, God is more concerned that you trust him than that you feel him if you come to worship service church on Sunday morning week after week wanting an experience wanting to to have a song that that makes you get goosebumps or give you a a warm fuzzy feeling so that you can make it through the next week that may be okay but that's not genuine worship what God wants us to do is come into this place week after week with open transparent hearts What did Moses tell the people of God in Deuteronomy chapter 6? The first thing is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Some translations, all your mind. In other words, you're you're to be totally committed and yielded to the Lordship of Christ. And when you come together in this place, week after week to worship, that has to be your mindset. What would happen if every week this group right here showed up with no agenda, except to listen to God and to obey. What would happen? What would happen if a handful of us showed up every week with no agenda, except to listen to God and to obey? Someone defined worship as the time that we slow down and embrace the eternal. God gives us this opportunity every week to gather as a corporate body of believers to focus our hearts and our minds and attention on him, but it doesn't stop when we leave the, the building in just a little while. It's to impact every area of our life. Worship is not 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Worship is 24-7. Romans chapter 12 says, I am to lay my life down as a living sacrifice to him, which is my reasonable Acceptable worship. But when we come to this place and we have our agenda, we're not going to leave this place with his agenda. If you come to this place setting aside your agenda, you leave with his agenda. Gordon McDonald has a great statement about Sunday morning worship services. He says if anyone leaves the event, the worship service, with any question as to who is in charge of the universe, the world, and the individual life, if anyone leaves with a sense of confusion as to who the victorious Lord is, then authentic worship simply hasn't happened, even though the Sunday bulletin said that was the intention. I like that. That you would come into this place with a sense of awe that you're in the presence of the sovereign creator of the universe. And let him have your undivided attention. That's what worship is all about. Matt Redman, who's written many of our worship songs that we've done over the years, was a worship pastor in Great Britain and leading the band. And the pastor became convicted that the band really was all about performing. And he set them down and confronted them in essence and said, what you're doing up there on stage is all about performance and you guys need to bring it down. And you know what happened? They all left the church. Except one, Matt Redman. He stayed there. And through the process of listening to the Lord, and I've even read there they had a period where there was no no singing that, that he came what came out of that was that that song, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, because it's all about you. It's more than a song. That's what worship is. The Bible mentions here that they were ministering, worshiping the Lord, and fasting. So worship worship includes preaching, it includes singing, it includes praying, it includes silence. All of those things are included in what we call a worship service. I love that they prayed. It's significant that as they prayed, God called them to lead some people out. He said, what's keeping us from reaching our community? It might be prayer. What's keeping us from impacting our nation? Could it be Prayer. Look what they did, they prayed and they fasted and God said, send some people out. I love reading the stories about the great prayer movements in history. In 1806, a group of students from Williams College in Massachusetts was praying for their student body who didn't know Christ and they got ridiculed and ostracized so they moved the prayer meeting off campus and met out in the country. And they were praying one day and a a thunderstorm came in and so they took refuge under a haystack. And begin to pray there intently, uh, and the leader of that prayer meeting began to focus their prayers on the, the needs of the, at the the gospel being taken to the to the rest of the world. And God, a revival broke out. God caused revival to break out in that group of men, students. Five of them surrendering their lives to go into missions, and it's been known as the Haystack Revival Meeting. It started with a group of people just praying and saying, "Oh God, save our campus." And God burdened them, and they began to pray, "Oh God." save the lost on the other side of the world. And you know what happened? Then God said, okay, I'm going to do that. I want to use you. And they said, here we are, send us. Not like Moses. You know the call of Moses in Exodus chapter 3? God said, Moses, I'm calling you out. I want to use you. And he said, here I am, send Aaron. (laughs) Pastor Kevin, here we are, send somebody else. There's surely, Pastor, God's calling somebody else to do that. God's calling somebody else to go. What would happen if our worship became setting aside our agenda and saying, Lord, here I am. Send me, more like Isaiah. The third characteristic of a sent church, the church will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Again, as they were ministering to the Lord, fasting and praying, The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul. And then you read in verse 4, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit continued to use them, to guide them. It's the Holy Spirit who calls us out. He says to them, let's set aside some specific people for this task. And let me tell you what usually happens when God starts to stir you to go. Whether it's to the other side of the world, or to your neighbor, or to another place in North America. Since we're focused on North America, let's talk about that. What happens if God begins to call you to do something like that? You start to rationalize and use logic. Well, I'm too old. That's for those 18 to 20 year olds. That's for those 30 somethings. I'm not equipped. I've got too much stuff. and so Logic starts to play in there. And we, we start to be like Moses. I've got a sermon, like seven excuses Moses gave. He says, who am I? Then he says, okay, who are you? What what if they don't listen to me? What if they do listen to me? He's got this whole, all these excuses that Moses gives. When the Holy Spirit calls, we're to respond because it's a spiritual dynamic. It's not human logic that's going to settle this thing. I read about a potential mission field recently. I wonder if God called you to this place, if you'd say, sign me up malaria is rampant four kinds of deadly poisonous snakes scorpions crocodiles alligators three species of poisonous spiders shark infested waters they lead in cancer deaths in the in the in their country of the, the part of the world for skin cancer there's a lightning death every square every square mile 50 times per, per year there's an average death of, of the lightning Hurricanes hit this place. But more people are moving to that mission field than ever. A thousand a day at one time. It's called Florida. So you start to listen to these bad things about this place and you think, oh, I couldn't go there. I couldn't go there. Folks, you're going to find something wrong with every place that God calls you if you say no. No. Empowered by the Holy Spirit to respond in obedience. We cannot make decisions based on logic. We have to make our decisions based on the call of God, the Holy Spirit empowering, calling, moving. Think about Abram. The book of Genesis tells his story where God called him out to go to a land he didn't know where it was. All he knew was go. He didn't get the where, he just started going. We've had people in our congregation feel called to missions and and they've said yes to the Lord and they thought it was to go here and God directed them over there. The important thing is that they said yes. Responding in obedience. Recently God called one of our young ladies, Laura Garner, into, into a ministry of missions, reaching people, trying to rescue people from sex trafficking. She felt called to this ministry, and she thought it was to go to Greece and do it, and God had other plans, and he redirected her to a, to a ministry in the United States that's doing that. Now, what was important about that? She just said yes, and God showed her the where. That's where you have to start. You have to respond to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit like Abram did. And Abram said, yes, Lord, I'll go. You just work out the details, and I'll follow you. Empowered by the Spirit, the fourth Trade or characteristic of a sent church, the church will endorse their own missionaries. The church will endorse their own missionaries. It says in verse 3 there, they sent them off. They prayed over them, they laid hands on them, and they sent them off. The church said, We believe God's called you, so go. Again, Ed Stetzer says, The church was and is an agent of God's sending. As a part of the church, we must fully embrace God's strategy for His mission as the church sends us on mission. This is what God's called us to do, not to gather and have a holy huddle every week. He's called us to break, huddle, and go. So here's the question. Why is God not, why are more people not going out? I started to say it the wrong way. Why are more people not going out? I believe it's not because God isn't calling. I believe it's because we're not obeying. A sending church will say, Lord, you've called them, we'll send them out. We've had several families in our church leave. I think about the Kennedys who, who've gone to Thailand. Cindy Campbell is now serving in Thailand. The Hammonds are preparing at seminary to go, uh, worship, uh, to go uh, minister in France. Uh, many others have stepped up to the plate and said, God, I'll go wherever you lead me. I, I just want to see this, okay? Uh, if you have gone on a short-term mission trip through Coastal Oaks Church, I want you to stand to your feet. A week, 10 days, 5 days, a month. Okay, look at this. Y'all stay standing. Stand up, stay standing. Okay, those folks don't like that. They'd want to be acknowledged. They probably weren't comfortable when you applauded. But let me tell you something the only difference in those folks and you, what's the difference? They're just us, just folks, right? Thank y'all, you, you can be seated. Just folks who said yes and responded in obedience. I've, there's an ongoing debate that goes on, and I, I know where I am in this debate. And the debate is that, is God really calling everyone out, or is God only calling a few out? I believe that God's calling all of us. And it may be to the ends of the earth. It may be to our next-door neighbor. It may be to a coworker, to a family member. But when God calls, the church is to say, yes. We send. We endorse. We encourage. We put these folks in our budget. We've had special offerings for them. We'll be having some more special offerings. Somebody told me, Pastor, if God keeps calling these people to missions, we're going to be like a mission agency. Not a church. What's the difference? Look at Acts chapter 13. That's what God's called us to do. To send. To give. We've Endorsed and encouraged church plants. We've helped sponsor a cowboy church in our area. We're sponsoring Life Point Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming. We're looking at a new partnership, possibly with a church in Abilene, uh, to, to, to help them, encourage them in any way we can. God's called us as a church to do that, and to do that, some of us are going to have to go. It's that simple. The church becomes the sender and the sent. As we think about North American missions, I want to just share with you this video clip to just give you a, a picture of the need. The focus of this clip is on giving, we'll talk about that in a minute. But I just want you to think about the need in North America and see some of our missionaries who've responded. Numbers, numbers. Everywhere, numbers. We see that mission field in front of us. We see so many people. You're faced with it every single day. You can't avoid it. Numbers tell us who we are. Where I come from, there are churches everywhere. Here, not so much. Numbers tell us who we are not. If you're looking for a place where there's just tremendous need for, for the gospel, I think this is one of those places. Numbers describe our problem. The amount of people that know Christ versus the amount of people who don't um, just jumped out at us. And numbers define our solution. It's vital that we have lots of churches and that we need more than just us. There is brokenness in numbers. Man, there are people who just zero knowledge. But there's also hope in numbers. That's, that's why we moved to this neighborhood. Um, is because we believe that God's going to save people here. And where the hope is, there is the North American Mission Board's Send North America strategy. It's actually a vehicle to take the gospel to, to the rest of the world. Send North America is thousands of Southern Baptist missionaries. I'm a student missionary. I am a church planter intern. I am a church planter apprentice. I am a church planter. They go where the numbers are stacked against them. We're far outnumbered. There has to be more people willing to disciple, to share the gospel, to lead, to lead groups, to preach. They start new churches in places where there are none. This is a desert spiritually. Nine out of ten people don't attend a church. They share the love of Christ with one lost soul. He did not know who Jesus was. Had never heard of Jesus. Never even heard the name Jesus. And then another. Now, this last week... Three family accepted Jesus Christ. Numbers give the missionaries of Send North America stories to tell and successes to share. It's incredible. I never thought when we a church that we, planted, we baptized 20-something people in less than a year and a half. When you give to this offering, you help power the Send North America strategy. The Annie Armstrong Easter offering helps to fuel the ministry of the church. of your gifts go to the mission field, and your gifts provide one half of the support the North American Mission Board receives to do missions. Together we send. You see that throughout the New Testament, that the churches are banding together to be able to provide for those who are going into difficult or new situations. Together, we mobilize thousands of church planters and missionaries. Together, we make new numbers. Together, we give. Give online at anyarmstrong.com. Now the focus of that video is giving, and you have an envelope. uh, It's in one of the pockets in front of you. If you'd like to take one and pray about your involvement, I'll just be honest with you and share my heart with you. Uh, I'm never concerned about this church giving to missions. God always raises people up to give over and above their tithes. We always meet every goal we set. Uh, God's going to use this church, and I know, but I encourage you to pray about that so you can be involved in that. We always say when it comes to missions, the response, and it's written on the back of this card right here, uh, we can pray, we can give, we can go. That's my challenge today. Now, I was, as I watched that clip, they talked about the, the uh, church planner intern and the church planner apprentice and the church planner just in our own church that we've sponsored in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Uh, Zachary Edwards has had a church planner intern come over the summer and now they're looking at a church planner apprentice being a part of that ministry there. God's multiplying that ministry and as you pray, pray for churches like that. The strategy of our mission board is to, to, to do mentoring and partnerships with interns and apprentices to develop more church planners. Their strategy of our North American Mission Board is to work with churches in mobilizing us as a missional force to impact North America with the gospel through evangelism and church planning. Three out of four people living in the U.S. and Canada do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And their strategy is that 80% of Americans live in cities, so they're targeting those cities, and that's why you saw those testimonies right there. But I wonder, how many of us should be involved in that by going? It may be short-term, it may be long-term, but if God speaks, our response needs to be yes. I ran across a list of excuses in the Bible. Now, you think you've got some excuses. Listen to this bunch that God used Noah was a drunk, Abraham was too old, Job went bankrupt, Isaac was a daydreamer, Jacob was a liar, Leah was unattractive, Joseph was abused, Moses had a speech impediment, Gideon was afraid, Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Elijah was too young. Timothy was too young. David had an affair and was even a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. Peter denied Christ. The Samaritan woman was divorced. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. And my favorite, Lazarus was dead. So what's your excuse? What human logic are you going to put into play into your life when God says, I want you to go? And you say no, because it doesn't make sense. I invite you to pray. As you pray for others this week, going through the prayer guide, I just want you to be sensitive to God and say, God, if you would call me, am I willing to go to help a church like LifePoint? to help a ministry that we identify as a part of our strategy, or maybe to go and be prepared and be a missionary on the field. That's what we want to do this week. Would you pray with me?